Good afternoon, good evening, good morning to everybody out there. This is uh, Deepening in the Divine. Uh, this is show number 10, uh, February 9th, 2018. And I am so excited today because we have A Course of Miracles author and speaker, Gary Renard, on the line with us today. Uh, and so we're going to get into that interview um, real shortly, but I wanted to first start, like we do every week, with a quote from A Course in Miracles before we get going. Since we're going to be talking about the Course, we might as well quote from the Course as well. So today's quote is from the text uh, from Chapter 29, Section 3, Paragraph 3. Within the dream of bodies and of death is yet one theme of truth, no more perhaps than just a tiny spark, a space of light created in the dark where God still shines. You cannot wake yourself, yet you can let yourself be wakened. You can overlook your brother's dreams. So perfectly can you forgive him his illusions, he becomes your savior from your dreams. And as you see him shining in the space of light where God abides, abides within the darkness, you will see that God himself is where his body is. All right. And without further ado, I would love, I'm so excited, uh, I, I'm so happy and grateful to introduce Gary to the show. Uh, and. A little bit about Gary, if you don't mind, I'm just going to do a couple sentences here. Gary was visited by two Ascended Masters, Artin and Persa, over 25 years ago, where they knocked his socks off and began teaching him about the true message of A Course in Miracles and practicing forgiveness. And since that time, Gary's written four books, uh, but his latest is entitled The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other, which is, I love this book. I've, I've been getting so much more out of it going through it a third time. Uh, but Gary is currently traveling all over the world, teaching true forgiveness, how to practice the course. Oh, and oh yeah, he tells some darn good jokes too. So hi, Gary. I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Hey, Scott. Uh, it's great to be on with you. Yeah, I'm so glad we're able to to make this work. Especially I know that you're busy uh, promoting your fourth book now, and traveling all over the country and the world. Uh, in fact, wh- when's your next um, speaking engagement? I think it's in California, right? Uh, yeah, we don't, uh, you know, travel as much in the winter as we do the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, this is kind of like our catch-up-on-writing kind of time. And uh, our next thing will be about a month, so maybe five, six weeks from now. And it'll be right here in Southern California at a place called Dana Point. And if anybody wants information about any of our appearances, and when I say our appearances, I mean uh, my wife, Cindy, and I... <laughs> I'd say we do about oh two thirds of the uh, workshops together, and I may do about one third of them uh, by myself. But she'll be doing the one in uh, Dana Point, California, with me. And uh, actually, we just moved uh, this week, so it's been a pretty hectic week. Wow! Uh, we lived in uh, one section of LA, and we just moved to Hollywood. And uh, so I'm looking out the window here at uh, you know the palm trees, and it's about seventy-two degrees. And sunny, and I like to rub it into all my friends back here. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a good had, thing to be uh, able to do, I, right? <laughs> I had more than my share of uh, those northeast winters. And to tell you the truth, I don't really miss them. But uh, at the same time, I do have empathy for the people who were there because I myself lived through so many of those you know, storms and blizzards and ice storms and winters. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I had had enough of it. And uh, I'm happy to be here. And I'm kind of like on my way to Hawaii. I, this, you know, I saw California as kind of like a 10 or 15 year uh, place to be because it's the perfect place to be if you're a writer and a speaker. 
Uh, there's so much going on here, and there's always something to see and do and people to meet, and it's, uh, it's been a great experience for me uh, living in California. But maybe five years from now, after I've lived in Hollywood, I can see myself and Cindy going on to Hawaii. And when we do that, we probably won't travel uh, as much. We'll probably do more online classes and, and you know, do retreats where people can come to Hawaii and, and do a retreat with us and, and things like that. So that's uh, you know, kind of like a preview of the future. But right now, uh, this is a great place for us to be. And, and we're exploring different uh, mediums, uh, including television, you know, to try to you know, get the message to more and more people. Because we love to share, you know, A Course in Miracles with people. And as you know, the teachers in my books, uh, Art and Persa, uh, they keep coming back because what they want to do, and I think what this fourth book does, is it accelerates the undoing of the ego. You know, as A Course in Miracles says, uh, salvation is undoing, which is a, a brilliant approach, by the way. Because uh, you could think of yourself as having two identities, uh, and one of them is a false identity, which we'll call the ego. And the ego is based on the idea of separation. And everything that it sees is separate from everything else. And uh, you always have a subject and an object. Something is outside of you that is uh, you know, not a part of you. And uh, that's the ego's idea of separation, which it cherishes, because the whole thing is based on separation, and that's what the ego believes in. And then you've got the real you, which is not the ego. Uh, the real you is based on oneness and not separation. And this is how the Holy Spirit thinks. You could think of, you know, the Holy Spirit as being the right part of your mind and the ego as being the wrong part of your mind. And you're kind of like uh, the observer. You're, you're the one who is watching this script that is being played out, which is already written, by the way. And uh, you're kind of like, as the Course would say, reviewing mentally that which has already gone by. So when you look at that definition in the Course, it's very much like uh, watching a movie. And the movie has already been filmed. And uh, your real power as an observer of the movie is to choose. As the Course of Miracles puts it, uh, the power of decision is your one remaining power as a prisoner of this world you can decide to see it right. So uh, it's kind of like you're sitting in a movie theater and uh, you've got the ego you know, sitting on one side of you and you've got the Holy Spirit sitting on the other side of you. Now, it's the same movie, but the question is whose interpretation of the movie are you going to listen to? It's like, uh, you know, I go to the movies a lot and we just happen to live right around the corner now from a very nice uh, movie theater in Hollywood. And uh, if you have 100 people in that movie theater watching a movie, you've really got like 100 different movies going on. Because everybody is seeing it from their point of view and their ego's point of view, and so you've got 100 different interpretations of the movie going on, and they're all different. But if you switched out of the ego's interpretation of the movie and switched to the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the movie, there would only be one interpretation. You know, so the ego loves to be complicated and loves things to be different and separate. And the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is consistent and, uh, you know, very, very clear that there is a reality that is just beyond what you're observing, just beyond the veil, if you will, just beyond the movie and, and what the Course further refines 
into the idea of being a dream. And uh, the reason it's a great approach to undo the ego is because that false you is temporary. And the real you is actually perfect. And the good news about that is that you don't have to do anything about the real you. Uh, the real you is already perfect. It's already exactly the same as its creator, which is God. And so ultimately, you are exactly the same as God, but we've lost touch with that experience, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to lead us home, you know, to bring us back to that experience of our perfect oneness with uh, God and all of creation. So uh, in order to get there, you don't have to do anything about the real you. All that you have to do is undo the false you, undo the ego. And uh, as you know, that's accomplished by the kind of true forgiveness that you've already mentioned, where uh, as you forgive, and I love the quote that you used at the beginning, because, you know, the Course uses that word, uh, overlook, uh, Mm, quite a bit. You know, you overlook uh, your brother's errors. You know, you can always uh, tell a beginning student of A Course in Miracles, because they're really good at pointing out the ego in somebody else. (laughs) You know, it's... (laughs) Exactly. But... um, (laughs) It's like they're oh he's like, he's in his ego you know uh, they're they're really great they're experts at pointing out the ego in somebody else and uh, there's a great section in the course it's called uh, the correction of error and one of my favorite lines in that section is uh, it says the alertness of the ego to the errors of other egos is not the kind of vigilance the Holy Spirit would have you maintain <laughs> you know so uh, what the course says is be vigilant only for God in his kingdom, and uh, that the alertness of the ego to other people's errors is not the kind of vigilance that the Holy Spirit would have you maintain. On the contrary, the Holy Spirit would have you overlook your brother's errors, and that's what the Holy Spirit does for you, too. Uh, At one point, the Course says about our errors, your errors, my errors, it says all errors are overlooked by the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think what people want to realize is that the Holy Spirit has a much higher interpretation and a much higher opinion of them than they do. Because the ego doesn't have a, a high opinion of you, and, and the ego wants you to feel bad and and, uh, and suffer, because if you can do that, then that's really you, and you're really a body. And the ego's number one game plan, and it's got a lot of them because it's very clever, at one point, you know, the Course says that the ego is ingenious, But the ego's number one game plan is to convince you that you're a body. Because if you're a body, then the whole ego thought system of separation is true. You know, the whole uh, can of worms is true, if that's really you and if you're really a body. But, of course, there's the antidote to that. And, of course, a miracle says that I am not a body. I'm free. For I am still as God created me. And uh, in those words, you really get... Uh, the briefest summation of A Course in Miracles that you'll ever get. Because if uh, if I'm free because I, I'm still as God created me, well, if I'm still as God created me, we have to understand that God doesn't do different. You know, God does perfect oneness. So God created you to be exactly like God, exactly like Him, and you still are. So if you're still as God created you, that means that you never left heaven, that you're still there. And the truth hasn't gone anywhere. You know, the truth is right here, it's right now, and it's being kind of like blocked. It's being covered over 
by this ego dream that we're watching. But that ego dream is very uh, precarious. It's almost like you know, a puff of smoke that you could blow away. And it's just a thin veil over the truth, which is everywhere, all around us. Uh, it reminds me of something that Jesus said 2,000 years ago, which you can see in the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, the disciples go up to Jesus and they say, well, you know, when will the kingdom come? Because they're anxious, you know, when, when, when's it going to come? <laughs> and Jesus just says, well, uh, it will not come by watching for it. It will not be said, behold here or behold there. Rather, the kingdom of the Father is spread out upon the earth, and people do not see it. Well, it's not that it's not here. It's just that people do not see it. And the reason that they do not see it is because it's out of their awareness. You know, it's not that it's not here, but it's, it's being blocked. And the Course, uh, in its brilliant introduction, talks about removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. And I think that this is where people have to realize that A Course in Miracles is a very big teaching. You know, it's not uh, the little teaching that so many of its teachers make it out to be, and they start talking about choosing love instead of fear, except they're talking about your love. They're talking about my love, you know, human love. Uh, mm-hmm. The Course isn't talking about, you know, human love, although it can certainly be reflected there. But the Course is talking about something much bigger. You know, your natural inheritance is uh, nothing less than the kingdom of heaven. You know, so it's all of it. You know, that's your natural inheritance, and you're totally worthy of it, and you don't have to earn it. Uh, It was given to you. You know, it was a gift from God. And if somebody gives you a Christmas present, you know, you don't have to earn it. You know, it was something that was given to you out of love, and all that we have to do is awaken to it. And it's that awakening from the dream that is enlightenment. But I don't mean being more awake in the dream. Uh, anybody can do that. You can be more mm-hmm. alert in the dream, and you can learn how to manifest like hell. <laughs> but that's you know that's not what Buddha was talking about when he said, "I am awake." You know, when Buddha said, "I am awake," he meant that he had awakened from the dream to the point where he realized that he was not this figure in the dream that he first thought he was, but that he was actually the maker of the entire dream that it was coming from him. He was not a victim anymore. It was not being done to him. Uh, It was being done by him. And that is a prerequisite to awakening. You have to realize that you're not a victim, that the world is not being done to you, that it's being done by you. If the world is coming at you, you're in a reactionary position. You're at the effect of it. But if the world is being done by you, well... That puts you in a position of cause, which gives you responsibility, and it also gives you power. There's no power in being a victim, but you know there's plenty of power in being at cause, and it is a prerequisite because, as the course itself, you know, says, uh, nobody can awaken from a dream that the world is dreaming for him. You know, you first have to realize that you're dreaming. So at one point. Uh, the Course says that awareness of dreaming is a function of the miracle worker. You know, you become more and more aware of the fact that this is a dream and that its content is not true, as the Course says, and you are the one who is dreaming it. That puts you in a different position. You know, now you can forgive it coming from a place of cause and not effect. Now you can forgive someone not because they really did something, 
you can forgive someone because they haven't really done anything because you're the one who made them up in the first place. You know, they're like uh, a character in your play. You know, it's like uh, you forgot that you wrote the script. And really, you know, the, you could say the ego wrote the script, but you bought into it. You chose it at the beginning of time. And uh, it's playing itself out. And the way to stop it from playing is to switch your allegiance, you know, to, to withdraw your belief from the dream. And uh, you've seen in the fourth book that uh, one of the reasons that Jesus and Buddha woke up before other people was because they didn't really believe in the dream. They didn't really believe in the world as much as other people did. They always had their doubts about the legitimacy of the world, uh, almost right from the beginning. But what is covered in the fourth book mostly is, uh, you know, six uh, lifetimes or incarnations, which are kind of like serial dreams. And it covers these different uh, lessons that they learned and disciplines that they studied. They got to study with great teachers because they themselves were right up on that level. They were equal to people like Lao Tzu. And, uh, you know, they got to be with great people like Plato. And uh, it's because they were ready for that. It's like that old saying, you know, when uh, the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Well, it's almost like uh, you could also do that vice versa. You know, when the teacher is ready, the student will appear. And uh, they showed up in these places to study with these great teachers because that's what they were ready for. And they were uh, really amazing, even going back to 700 B.C., uh, you know, briefly, the six lifetimes that are covered are uh, one that goes back to like 700 uh, B.C. in uh, ancient Japan. And they were Shintos, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. Jesus and Buddha were guys named uh, you know, Saka and Hiroji. And uh, they were best friends. And they had forgiveness lessons. They both fell in love with the same woman. And, uh, you know, any guy can tell you, yeah, that's a forgiveness lesson. That you <laughs> exactly. Love with the same woman as, as your best friend. And, uh, and that's something that, and that was Megumi? Uh, no, in that lifetime, it was uh, Saka and uh, Hiroji. And, and that uh, was I'll Megumi to, the get... gal? Uh, oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Uh, Nagumi was the woman in that lifetime, 700 B.C. And uh, there's a surprise in the, the chapter about the time of Jesus that mm -hmm. I'm not going to give away. Okay. But, it turns out <laughs> that she, but, but she turns out to be somebody that people would know. <laughs> right, that, okay, uh, I won't say it then. <laughs> yeah, in that final lifetime. There are a few surprises in, in the book. You know, I mm -hmm. remember uh, way back in Disappearance, I say way back because... You know, you have to take into consideration the fact that it took me 10 years to, to do the disappearance of the universe before it was even ready to be presented to anybody. And uh, so uh, most of the conversations in DU uh, were actually taking place in the 1990s. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's going back 25 years for me now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, one of the things that they mentioned, and I didn't know what to do with it at the time, but... They mentioned that Buddha came back for one more lifetime after right. the time that he was Buddha, even though he clearly knew everything that he had to know to be enlightened. He uh, had to be there. Sometimes a master will come back for one more lifetime just because they have to be there to point other people in the right direction, you know, which is really what Jesus was doing, too. Uh, 2,000 years ago, he was kind of like pointing people in the right direction. He knew that they wouldn't completely understand what he was saying. 
but he acted as an example. The course says that the teacher is to demonstrate. So he would, you know, talk to people in their own language at the time in, in the form of parables because that's what they could accept and understand. But uh, when you think about it, you know, Course in Miracles, what he's really doing is he's just pointing us in the right direction. You know, and for those who don't know, Jesus is the voice of the Course in Miracles, although it's really the Holy Spirit speaking as Jesus, which, you know, we'll get to. But it's like, uh, what he's saying is, look, this is what worked for me. You know, maybe you should check it out. You know, maybe you'll save yourself a few thousand years. You know, uh, chief aim of the miracle worker, which is anybody who practices the kind of forgiveness where you're coming from a place of cause instead of effect and not making it real. Uh, you know, the miracle can substitute for learning that may have taken thousands of years. So maybe you should check this out. You don't have to. And it's not for everybody at the same time. And, but it is a truth that everyone will learn in some form eventually. You know, and if this is your time, and if A Course in Miracles is for you, then you know it. And if it's not your time, well, so what? I mean, that's not a sin. You know, there's no such thing as sin, according to the Course. And, uh, you know, so you get it in some other dream lifetime, and that doesn't really matter. But if you're someone who is studying the Course uh, sincerely and really trying to practice what we would call vision or true forgiveness, then uh, that's pretty strong evidence that this is your time. Because if this wasn't your time to awaken, then you wouldn't be doing that. You know, because the ego wants to stay as far away from forgiveness as possible. Mm -hmm. Because this is death to the ego. And on some level, the ego senses that. You know, the ego knows that, which is why the Course says that the ego's range of emotion will suddenly shift from suspiciousness to viciousness. Because on some level, it will sense that it is being undone and that that is its end. And so it's going to come up with a thousand different ways to convince you that this is real and that that's really you. you know. And so the ego tried to do that you know, with Saka and Hiroshi as well. And then there was a lifetime after that in uh, you know, Japan when uh, you know, we call them J&B in, in the book, Jesus and Buddha. But at that time in uh, Japan, their names were Xiao Li and uh, Wasan, and uh, they had a romantic relationship in that lifetime. And they were also students of Lao Tzu. Yeah. And uh, Lao Tzu was a very interesting teacher, very much like Buddha, uh, although it wasn't in the same place. Uh, they're actually very similar. In fact, sometimes there are quotations that are attributed to Buddha that were actually said by Lao Tzu. And there mm -hmm. are things that were uh, attributed to Lao Tzu that were actually said later by Buddha. So uh, they were very similar, and you see in the book uh, some of the things that Shaolin and, and Wosan uh, learn. And uh, it's all very interesting because they're on kind of like an accelerated path. And uh, the different uh, things that they learn along the way in, in these six incarnations are examples that we can all learn from and kind of like use to accelerate our uh, spiritual path. And another major purpose of the fourth book is to really... Uh, clarify the difference between duality and non-duality, and uh, to urge the reader to be uncompromising when it comes to that, because you will save yourself a hell of a lot of time <laughs> if you don't waste your time making things real and making things important that aren't important and are not real, and instead look to the truth that is just beyond the veil 
And the truth is a constant. You know, the truth is something that doesn't change. Heaven doesn't shift or change. Uh, God doesn't do different. God doesn't shift or change. God is perfect love. But if it was shifting or changing, it wouldn't be perfect, because it would be different at one time than another time. So the truth is a constant. The truth was the truth. You know, God is the truth. Uh, God is love. And the truth was the truth 2,000 years ago, and it's still the truth today. And it's still going to be the truth 2,000 years from now. Uh, it does not alter. It's a constant where the illusion, the dream, is always in a state of constant change. In fact, that's the only thing that you can depend on in uh, the illusion is that it's not going to be the same one minute from now as it is right now. And you have no idea what's going to happen because, as the Course says, the ego is unstable in its functioning. You know, so God knows what's going to happen. <laughs> and and yeah. how can you depend on something like that? You know, yet that's where people have put their belief. You know, people have put their belief and their faith in something that cannot be depended on. And what we want to do is we want to take that belief back. And we want to put that belief where it belongs, which is with God and his kingdom. So uh, it's really a choice. And it's a big choice. And it's not a choice that everybody is uh, ready to make, and not everybody is ready to go home yet. But if you are, you know, if you're kind of like sensing, well, you know, I've had enough of uh, being a human being, because, you know, uh, the only sure thing is that uh, the body's going to die, and uh, there's, there's going to be fun, yeah, but there's also going to be a lot of pain, because that's the nature of duality. You have good and bad. This is a world of opposites. You know, so you have both good and bad. You have life and death. You have scarcity and abundance. You know, all these opposites. Yet the Course, in that same, you know, brilliant introduction, says the opposite of love is fear. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, people always quote that, but they, they always forget the next line. You know, the, the opposite of love is fear. But what is all-encompassing, which is obviously God, can have no opposite. So uh, the Course is very uncompromising about that. You know, in fact, it goes as far as to say that there is no life outside of heaven. Because in heaven, you have only life, and there's no such thing as death. You have only abundance, and there's no such thing as scarcity. You know, you have only good, and there's no such thing as bad or evil. or It doesn't exist. And that is a world that we want to return to. We want to return to a world where there's no such thing as opposites where there's only good, where there's only life, where there's only abundance. And that's the place that we are awakening to. And, and so when the Course talks about going home, well, it's really talking about awakening to what is already here, but which is out of our awareness. And, you know, this is the journey that we see in these uh, six incarnations, including uh, the next one when uh, J and B were Hindus. Mm -hmm. And at that time, uh, you know, they were friends, and one was named uh, Harish and... Uh, the other's name, uh, Padmaj. And, uh, you know, they learned a lot in that lifetime. They didn't live a very long lifetime in that lifetime. They only lived to be about 27. Uh, but they learned a great deal. And uh, a lot of what they learned had to do with meditation and becoming very good at meditating. And uh, even though traditional meditation is not a part of A Course in Miracles, it is a part in a way. Because, uh, first of all, you notice in the later workbook lessons, uh, they're very meditative, and they actually involve kind of like a direct approach to God. It, it's kind of like you're losing your fear of God, which people didn't even know that they had, 
I mean, mm-hmm. sure, you know, the Bible will talk about the fear of God, but uh, most of that fear is under the surface. It's unconscious. You know, people are not aware of it. You know, if they were aware of it, it wouldn't be unconscious, but <laughs> they're not aware <laughs> of it. Right. And so, uh, you know, there's this fear that people are not in touch with. In fact, you notice in uh, the Course that the last two obstacles to peace are the fear of death and the fear of God. And that's very interesting, because you wouldn't have one without the other. If you didn't fear God, you wouldn't fear death. So it's kind of like you have to undo the whole thing, and then the time will come when you'll have no fear of God, which will mean that you'll also have no fear of death and vice versa. You know, so those are the last two obstacles that that disappear, which is why the Course does echo uh, the Bible in the Teacher's Manual when it says that the last to be overcome will be death. And uh, the time will come when, when you will not fear death and it will be meaningless to you because you'll know that there's no such thing. And what you're awakening to is better than this anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like what uh, my friend Ken Wapnick used to say. He used to say, look, this isn't a happy world, and uh, nobody in their right mind would come here. <laughs> you know, so it's like, uh, you know, people there, they cling to the world, but the Course would say, well, why would you want to stay here? You know, because this is just what Arden Peirce called it. Uh, in the dream, this is psychoplanet. Psychoplanet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, if, if things are going good, well, good. Enjoy it while you can, but uh, it's not going to last because that's not the nature of this world. It's it's a world of duality, which means that it's going to go good for a while, but it also means that it's going to turn to crap. And, uh, you know, that's just the nature of opposites, and we want to get back to that place where there are no opposites. So, uh, you know, you see a progression in these lifetimes, and uh, then this lifetime that uh, Jane B. shared, where they were students of Plato at Plato's Academy. Uh, Their names at that time were uh, Tachys and Acheros, or Acheros, and, uh, you know, they were friends, they were students. Uh, By then, at that incarnation, they were realizing, look, uh, there is a reality that is just beyond the veil, and you can't make it real. And even though Plato was brilliant and uh, had all these amazing things and is obviously the most famous philosopher in history, and he wrote you know, all these great things like uh, the story of the cave, and uh, you know, it's just you know, Plato's Republic and all that stuff. It's, it's just that uh, he still had an area where he was making it real. You know, so even though he knew that there was a difference between this reality that was behind the appearances, for some reason he just couldn't stop himself from making uh, that which he was seeing true, you know, making it real, even though he knew it was an illusion. So that's kind of like the in-between place where a lot of uh, spiritual students are stuck. You know, like I went to a movie around the corner here last night because I have a friend uh, who's in this you know, movie, it's a documentary about intuition. Hmm. And there are all kinds of spiritual teachers in this movie. It's one of those documentaries where you have, you know, 30 different teachers saying 30 different things. Mm-hmm. But it's around, you know, a, a similar theme, which in this case was intuition. And, you know, they'll talk about the world being an illusion. But they still make it real. You know, it's kind of like they're <laughs> caught in between. They can't take an absolute mm-hmm. stand on it. And then even then, it doesn't help you to say that the world is an illusion. Uh, you have to have something to replace that with, which is what A Course in Miracles does. You know, mm-hmm. In the Course, 
which is much more proactive than people realize. Uh, Jesus completely replaces the thought system of the ego with the thought system of the Holy Spirit. And without that replacement, if you just go around saying, oh, the world's an illusion, the world's an illusion, that's going to make you feel empty and meaningless, because uh, the way that you see things and the way that you interpret things is actually the way that you will feel about yourself and interpret yourself. Uh, There's a very important law of the mind that the Course articulates. Uh, It says, as you see him, you will see yourself. Now, this is why it's so important to think the right way about other people and the things in the world, whether it's situations or uh, events that you see on television, uh, anything that you're seeing, the way that you interpret it will interpret how you feel about yourself and ultimately even what you believe yourself to be. So if you're you know, just saying, oh, the world is an illusion, then you're going to end up feeling like an illusion. And, you know, that will just leave you feeling empty and meaningless, which is a pretty good definition of depression. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I, I wouldn't uh, have anybody stop at saying the world is an illusion, which I think is a major mistake of the Hindus. And I think it was hard for them to replace it uh, with God, because they have so many gods. And that's, you know, certainly not uh, a put-down of anybody. It's just that if you have so many gods, it's hard to focus on the oneness which is why I think it's wise to have, you know, the oneness as God. So you do have one God, and that God is perfect, and there are no differentiations within that perfect oneness. And what that does is it gives you a perfect home to go home to, where if you have differences, well, then who knows what you're going home to. So uh, heaven is dependable, and the world is not dependable. And at the time of Plato, I think by then, J and B were realizing, look, uh, you can't compromise on this. You know, it's like uh, there's reality, and then there's everything else, and nothing else is true. Anything that has a form to it, you know, anything that shifts or moves or wavers, as the Course says, uh, whatever is true is eternal and cannot change or be changed. Well, that narrows it down quite a bit, (laughs) because there isn't anything (laughs) in this world that doesn't shift or change. You know, so the Course is saying very clearly that reality has nothing to do with the universe of time and space. In fact, it's something that is bigger than the universe of time and space. And in your reality, you are bigger than the universe of time and space. And if it's your projection, then nothing in it is ever bigger than you are, because it's coming from you. You know, so uh, it really does change the way of looking at things. And, uh, you know, by the time J and B are having that lifetime with Plato, they're realizing this, and they're saying... Yeah, you, know, you can even uh, they have a little dialogue that Art and Persa gave me. That, yeah, I enjoyed uh, that. Yeah, Tacus and uh, Akeros uh, say, and they're saying, you know, basically, you know, Plato's uh, a brilliant guy, but he's still making it real, and we can't do that. We ha- have to go beyond that. And then you see, uh, you know, the lifetime of Buddha, which is after that. And by the way, you know, people uh, sometimes they'll tell you, well, you know, uh, Plato was after Buddha. But according to my teachers, no, uh, their lifetimes are so close together in history that they're practically overlapping. And I trust my teachers, and they're sticking to the the idea that uh, the lifetime of Plato was actually just before the lifetime of Buddha, and I trust them. So I'm going to go with that. But you, and some people will argue about it, and some people will say, no, Buddha, you know, was first and Plato was second. But uh, nothing matters because lifetimes aren't linear anyway. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all a made-up story anyway. But it's like, um, you know, the way that they see it, uh, Jane Buddha had this incarnation uh, with Plato and then with Buddha. And you, you see in the book that the lifetime that they share uh, at the time of Buddha is actually pretty complicated. And it's, it's a very uh, interesting story to me because mm-hmm. uh, Buddha, whose name was Siddhartha at the time, you know, he was born to a life of wealth and privilege. His father was a king, you know, kind of like a regional uh, king. You know, back in those days, there was even more separation in terms of territory. And uh, you know, so it was kind of like Game of Thrones, you know, where you have all these different families vying, you know, to be the king. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff actually went on. But, uh, you know, Buddha's uh, father was a king, and he was very protective of his son, and so Siddhartha grew up on a large estate, and he uh, a huge palace, and he could never leave uh, the palace or the grounds, which were huge. And I mean huge. I mean, it's kind of like uh, if, if you ever went to Tokyo and saw the emperor's palace in Tokyo, mm-hmm. you wouldn't believe it. I mean, t- it takes you a half an hour to drive around it. You know, that's, I mean, it goes for miles and miles. It's just, uh, you wouldn't believe some of these places that these people had. And, uh, by the way, back in the time of Japan, you know, it's like, uh, you know, our our two friends, uh, Nersaka and Hiroji, it's like in those days you were actually owned by the emperor. You know, it's almost like you were the emperor's property. Hmm. And so the emperor's family told, you know, who had got to marry who. And uh, neither one of them got to marry that woman that they both were in love with. So not only did they have a forgiveness lesson for each other, but they also had a forgiveness lesson in the fact that they weren't either one of them were not able to marry her, and that was a real bummer. And uh, they always had forgiveness lessons along the way. I'll let uh, the reader, you know, go through them because uh, it would take me hours to to go through it. But it's mm-hmm. like all along the way they have forgiveness lessons, and uh, there is a big forgiveness lesson for Buddha in his final lifetime, just as the crucifixion was a big lesson for Jesus to teach in his final lifetime. And in the case of Buddha, uh, he grew up on this estate, but he always wanted to see the outside world. And his father forbid it. Uh, As a result, he grew up protected. He was very well educated, so he knew all the the Hindu scripture. He was an expert on the Upanishads and all uh, Mm -hmm. different uh, things, you know, uh, Advaita Vedanta and all, all that. And he was very sophisticated uh, as a spiritual student. He had already learned so much in other lifetimes. But he felt a yearning, and he felt that there was somebody that he was supposed to be with. And he didn't know what it was. He couldn't quite put his finger on it. And when he was about 20, his father arranged a marriage for him to this beautiful woman. And he didn't mind it being an arranged marriage because he fell in love with her pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, she was just this amazingly beautiful and intelligent woman. And uh, so they fell in love, they got married, and they were still living there at the palace. Uh, The thing is, you know, Siddhartha's father wanted them to have children, and they wanted to have children. And when that didn't happen after a few years, they were very disappointed. And Siddhartha started to revert back to this wanderlust that he had, where he wanted to get away from the palace and see the outside world, and, and he felt like there was something that he was supposed to find out there, and he didn't quite know what it was. And his wife, uh, who loved him, didn't want him to leave and did everything she could to keep him there, 
but one night he escaped. He had already found a, a place to a way to get out of the palace when he was a child, but he never had the nerve, you know, to actually leave. And this time he actually left. And he's, uh, you know, a little over 20 years old now, and he escapes, and he goes out searching the countryside. And the first thing he realizes is that being a, a, a man of wealth and privilege and a man of abundance, that didn't make him happy. You know, so there was something else, you know, there's something missing. Mm-hmm. You know, I get that. Uh, you know, I didn't meet too many billionaires when I lived in Maine, but I have met a couple since <laughs> I uh, moved to California. And, uh, you know, that's what they'll say. They'll say, you know, I still feel like something is missing. Mm-hmm. And I'll look them right in the eye and I'll say, look, that's because there is something missing. And as A Course in Miracles would put it, it says a sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need correct. You know, if you could correct that one real lack, that sense of separation from your Creator, then you would never feel lack. You would always feel abundant. You would always feel like you were being taken care of. It wouldn't matter how much money you had. Uh, you would always know that, hey, it's going to come to you in the form of inspiration. You know, when uh, you, you look at the Song of Prayer section, in the Course is a certain way of praying, which is, you know, very much like a uh, visualization that leads to stillness and oneness with God in a state of uh, thanksgiving. And uh, you'll be taken care of. You'll be given the inspiration that you need uh, in order to make it through this illusory life. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, the Song of Prayer in the psychotherapy section, you know, it says even the most advanced teacher of God has earthly needs while he appears to be here. And he will be given what he needs, you know, to stay here while he's supposed to stay here. So as a teacher of God, you realize that none of it's real and that you don't have any real needs, that the only thing mm-hmm. that you need is God. But at the same time, uh, there's what the Course calls the harmonics, the overtones. And that comes to you in the form of inspiration. In fact, uh, the word inspired comes from the words in spirit. So... You know, getting back to Siddhartha, he goes out there, and he realizes that uh, having all this wealth, that didn't make him happy, so he decides to be an ascetic. You know, he gives up <laughs> right. the world. He, he renounces the world. And uh, that's all well and good, and, and he learns a great deal. And uh, the only problem is that he realizes after a few years that that's not making him happy either. So that's quite a dilemma, you know, uh, you know, do, doing all these things and being rich, that didn't make him happy. Uh, doing nothing and being an ascetic and having nothing, that wasn't making him happy either. So then he develops what came to be known as uh, the middle way. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Buddha comes up with the middle way, and this is a good way for course students to live. I think they can, you know, follow Buddha's uh, example. Because you don't have to go to extremes. You know, you don't need wealth to make you happy, but you don't have to renounce the world physically. Uh, to make yourself happy either. You know, if you think that you have to give up the world, that's just making it real also in your mind. Mm -hmm. So uh, the middle way reminds me of something else that Ken Wapnick said. You know, he said, don't forget how to be normal. You know, and that's the best thing that a Course in Miracles student can do, is don't forget how to be normal. You know, live a normal life. Don't go to extremes. Don't think you have to be rich. Don't think you have to be poor. Uh, Yeah, it's cool to have enough. It's fine to be successful and to have money. You know, but you don't need 20 yachts, and you don't need 100 cars, you know, and, and you don't need uh, so many things where people are just trying to fill a hole. Mm-hmm. You know, all that you need is uh, what it takes to get from one place to the other and, uh, and forgiveness. 
And it's the forgiveness that's your real job. You know, my teachers uh, said to me very early, whatever you do, that's just your cover job. You know, your real job is forgiveness. Yeah. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, when Siddhartha left the palace, what he didn't realize was that uh, when he left, his wife had become with child. And uh, he was out on the road for a long time, you know, about 20 years. He had been teaching. He had uh, developed a following, even though he didn't try to. And, uh, you know, so he was teaching one day, and this guy comes up to him. He said, hey, aren't you, uh, you know, the prince that used to be at the palace there? You know, I used to work there at the palace. I was there when you were there. And, uh, you know, Siddhartha was happy to see him and everything, and they were talking for a couple of minutes. And uh, then the guy says to Siddhartha, hey, uh, have you found your son? And that was like a bombshell, you know, to Siddhartha. Mm -hmm. He didn't even know that he had a son. Right. And, uh, you know, he was like just this close to total enlightenment, and that changed everything for him. Uh, He now became obsessed with finding his son. And uh, that was really the last big forgiveness lesson for Buddha, was the fact that, okay, he had a son and that he had lost him, and it became an obsession for him to find him. So he spent uh, the next couple of years uh, wandering the countryside in this desperate search for his son, and uh, his son, you know, he didn't go back to to the palace because this guy also told him that his son had left the palace to look for him after his uh, wife died, after the son's mother passed away. Uh, you know, then he had left to find his father. So they're both out there looking for each other now at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it, it took a while, but, uh, and it took a lot of forgiveness while he was doing it, but uh, at one point they actually found each other. And they ended up together, and they ended up uh, spending a few years together and forgiving everything. And uh, at the end of their life, they had learned so much that they were both, for all intents and purposes, enlightened. You know, like when uh, a master comes back for that last lifetime, it's not like they have things to learn. You know, they they don't have a learning curve that they have to go through. They already know everything that they have to know in order to be enlightened. Maybe there's just a a big forgiveness lesson that they choose to teach, or maybe they're just there because they have to be there because it's part of the script. You know, it's part of the Holy Spirit script for them to point people in the right direction, which is a part of the bigger picture. You know, the Holy Spirit has a plan that will result in everyone awakening from the dream. And that plan has already been put into place. It's guaranteed to work. Everyone is going to wake up. Uh, We're all going home to the same place because we're all awakening to the same place that we never left, which isn't even a place (laughs) because it doesn't have any form. But that's another discussion. (laughs) At this point in the story, uh, Jesus and Buddha have decided, okay, we're coming back one more time for those reasons. And uh, I thought it was kind of cool toward the end of that chapter because Siddhartha turns to uh, his son and he says uh, to his son, he says, okay, next time you be the teacher. <laughs> yeah, you know? so I love like, that. Uh, and they, it's yeah, almost, and they... okay. yeah it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, Siddhartha is saying, look, I've had enough of this. You know, I, I don't need to teach anymore. And I'm going to be kind of quiet in that next lifetime. And and you, and at this point, his son's name was Rahula. But, uh, you know, he's saying, next time you be the teacher. And, and 
they have a very good idea of what's going to happen in that final lifetime because by this point they can see the future. Uh, as you undo the ego, barriers in the mind are kind of like broken down and your awareness increases. And that has to do with both the dream and reality. Uh, you become more aware of everything and more aware of what's not real and what is real. And uh, so they have a good idea what's going to happen. So at the time of Jesus, they come back, and uh, Yeshua, which was Jesus' name, and uh, Nadav, well, that's uh, Buddha in that lifetime. And uh, I'm not going to say you know, who Buddha was in that lifetime, but people will at least recognize uh, him as one of the disciples, not that he had anything to learn. It's not like he was... Uh, you know, really there as a student, more as an observer, and there to support Jesus and to support others, including the other disciples, in practicing uh, forgiveness. And, uh, you know, kind of like uh, teaching by example, the same way that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were doing. And, of course, you see in the book that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' equal. So all three of them are enlightened in that lifetime. Uh, You know, uh, Yeshua... Uh, Mary, Nadav, all three of them are becoming enlightened or are enlightened in that lifetime uh, 2,000 years ago. So uh, it's a a fascinating story, to me at least. I mean, I didn't know these things. And I didn't know that there was going to be a fourth book. You know, I thought uh, after the trilogy and uh, the first three books, well, maybe that was it. And uh, I had become, and I still am very good at channeling art and person through my mind. I got better in that as the years went on. And uh, they would appear to me, and I would become, even though it had happened dozens of times, I would still get kind of like in awe of them Mm. and uh, amazed by their appearances. And as a result of that, I would forget to ask them things. I would forget to ask them (laughs) questions that, you know, I always wanted to ask them. And after the three books were over, I remembered this thing, so I'm asking them in my mind, well, wait a minute, you know, I I really want to know something. Uh, How did Jesus get to be Jesus? You know, and how did Buddha get to be Buddha? I mean, what were they like in the incarnations before they were Jesus and Buddha? What did they study? What were their lessons? How did they practice? What did they learn? I want to know, you know, how did they get to be who they were? Well, I got uh, more than I bargained for when it came to the answer (laughs) to that question. And uh, the answer to that question turned out to be a whole book, which I wasn't expecting. And it took me three years to really, uh, you know, talk over things with them and, and uh, you know, get it down on paper. And uh, at the same time, I'm very happy that it happened because I learned a lot from it that I didn't know. But also, it made me more determined than ever to not compromise on the idea of uh, non-duality and to overlook the veil, overlook the dream, overlook people's errors. Yeah, they may think that they're people, but you know better. Uh, you know what they really are. What they really are is this perfect spirit, which is exactly the same as their creator. So you want to think of everybody. If you want to go home to God, you want to think of everybody as being exactly the same as God. And that means that they're totally innocent, that they're perfect oneness. You know, And uh, that's what you see you know, Jesus and Mary and uh, Nadab doing in that final lifetime. They overlook even violence that is done to them. They overlook everything and look to the light that is everywhere. So that person that they're forgiving in their mind, not because the person really did something, but because they didn't do anything, 
because it really is just a dream, and just as the Course says, you would not react at all to figures in a dream. You knew that you were dreaming. You know, so uh, they overlook all errors and see innocence and see with love everywhere because that's what they are, and that is how they got in touch with their divinity. You know, that is how Jesus and Mary and the Tav got in touch with what they really were and where they really were was by seeing it everywhere without exception and without compromise. And uh, this book really encouraged me and made me more determined than ever to be like that. And uh, to, to realize, you know, even when that politician comes on the TV screen, who I can't stand, <laughs> you know, to remember the truth. And mm. the truth is, okay, that person may think, that he's really that person. But, you know, I've had access to a little bit more information than that person has. And I know what they really are and where they really are. And more so, uh, if I see them as they really are, which is this uh, perfect creation of God rather than what they think they are, then that is how I am going to feel about myself. So that's why the Course says at the end, it says, you know, choose once again what you would have him be, knowing that every choice you make will establish your own identity as you will see it and believe that it is. So, if I want to react like that person is actually a body and a real person, then that's what I will believe I am. But if I'm willing to look past the veil and think of that person as being totally innocent and perfect love and a perfect creation of God, which is not part of it, you know, this is not uh, a partial thing. The Course says that spirit is not a partial attribute. So I'm thinking that person is not being part of it. I'm thinking of that person as being not a person, but all of it, exactly mm-hmm. the same as God. And I know that if I think that way about that person, that is how I will come to experience myself. So uh, now yeah. you're on the driver's seat. I think seat. that, sorry, Gary, I, unfortunately we're we're getting close to time, and I'm really glad you got to the lifetime of Jesus and bringing all this back around to how do you really practice forgiveness. But I want to make sure we had, in the few seconds we have left, uh, let everybody know the best way to contact you. And if you have any uh, events this year, especially I wanted to mention Kauai. Um, but I think, do you want everyone to know your website uh, or some other social media sites? Uh, yeah, the website is uh, GaryRenard.com, which uh, I thought of myself. I thought of that thing on the website. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, so it's www.garybernard.com. And uh, that has all kinds of information. It has the schedule. Uh, we are doing a retreat. We do a, a retreat every summer in Hawaii. This year it's going to be on a, the fabulous island of Kauai, which mm-hmm. I've been to a few times, and it's just uh, a must-see. And it's going to be a great workshop about undoing the ego. So we're going to have fun at the same time. We're all going to have dinner together on Saturday night. And, uh, you know, it's uh, just a great place, and it's going to be a great workshop. And that information is at my website also. You go to uh, the the, uh, link that says uh, live events, and that information will be there as well as our entire schedule. So you never know. We may be coming to your area, so check it out. And, uh, you know, there are links to other websites like Cindy, my wife. uh, She put out her first book uh, a few months ago, and that's doing well. So... We got two authors yeah. in the family now. So. That's right. Her, her book wonderful. is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Great. And yeah, and, I uh, definitely highly recommend everyone going to one of your workshops if they haven't. There, I could listen to you talk for hours. And again, unfortunately, we are out of time. But if you had one last thing to mention, 
Well, I would say to people, look, uh, be more determined than ever, and I think you will be if you read the fourth book, but be more determined than ever to not compromise on the truth. There is a truth that is everywhere that is being blocked out by this dream, and remember that you're dreaming as much as you can. You know, it, like if you have a pain in your knee, don't say, I have a pain in my knee. Say, look, I'm having a dream that I have pain in my knee, and it's not real pain. And, uh, you know, as soon as you start thinking that way, now you're not at the effect of it. Now you're being at cause. And you might be surprised uh, how much power you gain in your mind by refusing to compromise on the truth. It, it really does make a difference. And true forgiveness leads to peace. Uh, peace leads to inspiration. It's actually a better way of life. And you get to uh, have your life. You don't have to give it up, but it, it ends mm-hmm. up being a better life. So you talk about a win-win situation. You know, so uh, yeah. just be more determined than ever to not compromise on it. Yes. Thank you so much, Gary. Unfortunately, we are completely out of time. I just want to thank you again. And uh, definitely we'll see you in one of your workshops soon. Well, thanks, Scott. Uh, it's been my pleasure, and thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. That sounds great. Take care, Gary. Thank you so much. You too. We'll see you. Bye. Bye-bye.